through 25 seasons. Hey! 4,561 episodes. I believe the Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The LOLs, the moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. Okay, stand by. Here we go. Lights, music. Scott Peterson guilty, Mark Hacking charged. Why does a husband kill? Oprah goes to prison face to face with the pastor who murdered his wife. But I didn't want to talk about this. Well, you're going to have to do better than that. Plus, her husband, a Cub Scout leader, a tennis coach, stabbed her over 50 times. She survived. Her children did not. Next. Michael was a Cub Scout leader, a high school tennis coach, Everybody said he was a good father until the day all hell broke loose. At the end of his murderous rampage, his two children were dead and his wife, Karen, stabbed more than 50 times and she lay clinging to life. Miraculously, Karen survived and for the first time today, she will share her story. Listen to these numbers. At least three women are murdered by the men in their lives every single day in the United States of America. How does an ordinary husband and father become a brutal killer? And what are the signs? To try and get some answers, I traveled to a North Carolina maximum security prison to interview Aaron, a former church pastor. High school sweethearts Aaron and Naomi were married for 24 years, and together they raised three children. Naomi worked full-time as a nurse, and Aaron was a devoted church pastor. On January 26, 2003, Aaron made this call to police. Barris County 911. I got a call from my wife's work, and she's not there yet. She was supposed to be there at 6.45. What's your name? My name is Aaron. I'm a uh, pastor. He was the last person anybody would suspect of a heinous murder. Then on January 27th, their tight-knit community was stunned. And now on, we got an emergency over here. There's somebody over at the back of a car all bloody and no clothes on. Are they still alive? I don't know. Naomi's dead body was found partially clothed in the back seat of her car. She was only a mile from her home. Crime experts believe she was beaten into unconsciousness with a marble rolling pin. Then driven to a deserted road, beaten again, this time with a rock and then strangled with a seatbelt and left for dead. Police believe she fought back until her last breath. The day after her body was found, their small town was devastated again. But when the killer was revealed, nobody could believe it. Aaron, their minister, confessed to the brutal murder of his wife. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And that's where I went looking for some answers. The Lanesboro Correctional Institution is a maximum security prison near Charlotte, North Carolina. It's where Aaron will spend the rest of his life. 
I went to see him to try to see how somebody who appeared to be so loving could do something so horrible. The story of his wife Naomi's murder begins at 4.45 in the evening of Super Bowl Sunday, 2003. She'd been napping before going to work for her nursing shift that night. I woke her up, she's come downstairs. Uh, and then she's, where are the kids? I said, I, I, let, I let them go to the Super Bowl party. And she just went off. Why? You've got problems. You want to be alone. Why do you want to be alone? I, I said, I, it's not that I want to be alone. Let them have fun. But she was not happy about that. Mm -hmm. She was very upset. It escalated into, I have got problems. I guess it was, and it was the first time I ever really talked back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And at that point... What was she saying to you? I want to know. Basically that I, I uh, was... Um, miserable person, that I have no reason to be depressed and I've got problems. And uh, she was right. What else did she say? Maybe, I, I, you know, if, if maybe you shouldn't be alive. If that's what you want, a struggle ensued. We've struggled, we fought, and then we've started fighting. And it never escalated to this point where I was fighting back, but I was afraid. Mm -hmm. The next thing I remember is I'm in jail. Because mm -hmm. it didn't hit me till a few days after I was in jail why I was there. And at that point, I just laid and cried and asked God to forgive me. Mm -hmm. Well, you're going to have to do better than that for me. Okay. You're going to have to do better than that. Because this is where you lose me. This is where you lose me. You lose me with, we're in the fight, and now I don't remember anything. I don't remember anything. She's, I mean, I could get, go into that she swung at me and, and all. I mean, I, I, re, I, I remember to a certain point. You I, do not remember. I remember. Because you point. are accused of battering her I know. with a marble rolling pin. I know. And then dragging her body in a comforter and placing it in the car. I and she then somehow, after being battered with the rolling pin, becomes conscious, and you are accused I I and pled guilty. I did. Okay. To then hitting her with a rock and then strangling her with the seatbelt. Yeah. And I'm telling you. And you're going to now sit here and tell me that you don't remember any of that? Absolutely not. But his memory did seem intact two days after the murder. In his confession, Aaron told police that he and Naomi argued about finances that evening. Tell me what happened. She chased me out of the kitchen. She swung at me in the kitchen with the rolling pin. Mm -hmm. And I'll be very honest, at times I wish I would just put my hands down and let her hit me. Mm -hmm. I ran. Mm -hmm. I ran upstairs. She followed me. Had she hit you with the rolling pin? She was swinging at She was her. swinging the rolling pin at you, okay. I ran upstairs. Uh-huh. She jumped on me in the bed. She jumped on you. We're fighting with it. This is, this is not... I gained a little control. I hit her. She starts bleeding. Mm-hmm. I told her to stop. You're bleeding. That just infuriated her. Who has the rolling pin at this point? She did. She still had it. It was in her hand. Mm -hmm. The next thing I know, 
the next thing I saw was her lying in bed, bloody. Mm -hmm. So I you're telling me, nothing. you're telling me, Aaron, you do not remember do taking the rolling no. pin and hitting her with the rolling pin. In his confession, Aaron told police that he grabbed the rolling pin and struck Naomi twice because she was fighting back. I remember okay. nothing from that you Do you point. remember putting her body in a comforter and dragging it to the car? Do you remember that? I, I do not. Things become dreamlike. Okay. Well, tell me what dream the dream like, was. The dreamlike part is I remember saying, I've got to help her. I tried to. I've got to help her? That's why you dragged her to the car? Yes. I. Yes, I, I tried lifting her and I couldn't. Uh -huh. She was heavy. Uh -huh. I knew I had to get her downstairs. Uh -huh. It was a two-story house. Okay. That was how I got her in the car. But see, I don't even, that's dreamlike. I can't even say. Okay, that. I will even just right now go with the dream. So that is, what is the rest of the that dream? That is it. The medical examiner's report confirmed how vicious the attack was. There were contusions all around Naomi's face, skull fractures and strangulation marks around her neck. The autopsy found that even after the brutal beating with the rolling pin, Naomi stayed alive until the final moment on the dirt road when Aaron strangled her with the seatbelt. See, the See, reason why I'm not buying this is because you put her in the car, I, but you then clubbed her again with a rock, you then strangled her. I don't think. And left her there in the car. I cannot. Not only that, you pulled her pants down so it would look like somebody else had done it. And I don't remember any of it. You don't remember any of it. I, I'm telling you the truth. There is no excuse for no, what you did. There is none. I agree. But all I'm saying to you is your unwillingness to go there. And there may be reasons why you don't want to go there. And I can accept that right. if you tell me that. Yeah. What I really have a problem accepting is the selective amnesia. According to his police confession, Aaron emptied Naomi's purse in the front seat and took off the white work gloves he'd been wearing. He walked home, washed the comforter and his clothes, then did the dishes and put the rolling pin back in the cupboard. Let me ask you this, okay. did you kill your wife? That's obvious I did. Okay. And I'm the... And you accept responsibility. I accept responsibility, but it's For not... murdering her. Oh, yes. You accept full responsibility. I accept. And you own that. Yes. Okay, okay? Yes. All right. Naomi not only left behind three children, but her parents and seven siblings. Her brother is speaking out for the first time about Naomi's murder. Out of seven kids, Naomi was the youngest girl. She was everybody's favorite. She was just uh, uh, fun-loving, easygoing, always wanted to help people. She absolutely loved her children. Aaron had a lot of different jobs where he moved around, just not any way that we would have known if there was anything going on, because if we talked to Naomi, she would always say everything was going fine. We really didn't believe that he could do anything like this, but we sure found out we were wrong. He had a nickname for Naomi. He called Naomi Scrapper. So if they ever had to go toe-to-toe -to -toe where they were going to be in a fist fight one-on-one, -on -one, Naomi would be able to kick his butt. He never once apologized to us for brutally murdering Naomi. My parents said that you don't expect to have your, your children die. It's like cutting your heart out. You know, it's, 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 it's a big emptiness. My sister, Betty Joy, sends him a letter every Monday. And all it says 
is why. And then it's signed Naomi. It, it hurts that someone could do that to her, especially someone who said he loves her. And, and I'll tell you, being a minister, he knows what God says about uh, having your soul burn in hell or go to heaven. And he's made a conscious decision to want his soul to burn in hell. Thank you, Jim. Well, what would cause Aaron to kill his wife of 24 years? Did he just snap on that Super Bowl Sunday? Well, after hearing Aaron's disturbing account of what happened the night of the murder, I had one question. I do know this. I do know that for every family who has been victimized by something like this, be it murder or somebody in their family is harmed, they want to know why. Yeah, I know. Why? Why? Can you offer any whys? I, I I'm not sure I can. Okay. Tell me this. Would you say you snapped? That's probably the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Now, Aaron says he kept a secret. He was not the man he appeared to be. He was severely depressed, he says. I'd be down. Mm -hmm. I would tell her, I'm, I feel empty. I feel lonely. I would call it my nagging loneliness. Mm -hmm. And she didn't understand that. Mm -hmm. She would say, you were just at church and you were fine. Mm -hmm. But there was a face that I had to wear. A face that you had to wear? I was a pastor. I was helping people who were feeling like me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was helping their families. I was a children's pastor. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to be up all the time when you're around kids. You were putting on a... A happy face. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I would come home, and it was like the only place I could relax deep down in my heart, deep down in my chest, I should say, just loneliness, emptiness. And I would try to explain that to Naomi. And that's where our friction would become, because she didn't understand that. Mm -hmm. well, I'll tell you what a psychologist told me, because mm -hmm. I never knew this. I said that depression is anger turned inward. Yes, it is. Aaron will spend the rest of his life in prison with no possibility of parole for killing his wife. And here are his final thoughts on his horrible crime. I have a lot of regrets uh, that she's not alive, that she's not here to see her children grow. I, I regret that she couldn't see him graduate from college. Mm -hmm. I regret that my daughter starts driving and neither one of us are the ones that taught her to drive. I regret that her family is in pain. I don't understand it. I'm telling you, I don't understand it. And that destroys me because it's daddy. It's dad. Dad did this. I can't, that's hard. That is, there's not a day that I don't live in remorse. There's not a day. What do you wish that you had done differently? I should have been way more persistent in getting and talking to someone. I should have found somebody that I could say, listen, I am in deep trouble here. I, my mind is not right. I'm, I'm very depressed. I'm very lonely. I'm very hurt. 
So if you had gone to somebody and had gotten help for your depression and had been able to deal with it in a professional, clinical way and had gone for help, would you be sitting here today? I don't think so. No, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. If you're just tuning in, you need to know that at least three women are murdered by the men in their lives every single day in this country. How does an ordinary husband and father become a brutal killer? Do they just snap? Karen Fox is a kindergarten teacher's aide. Her ex-husband was a Cub Scout leader, high school tennis coach. She says what happened to her is so unbelievable that it really is like watching a movie of someone else's life. We begin her story with this 911 call placed to the Dubuque police on February 17th, 2003. 502, go ahead. Notify police, we had a gentleman with blood-like blood on his shirt walking past us here. That man would turn out to be Karen's husband. That call came from the ambulance carrying Karen Walker's bleeding body. Just minutes before, the world as Karen knew it had come to a horrific end. It began 13 years ago when Karen Fox married Michael Walker. He was very romantic. He liked do little things for me, you know, little cards or, or flowers. That was a huge attraction. They had two beautiful children, Jordan and Lindsay. Lindsay loved school. She loved to learn. She loved soccer. She had a very gentle soul. Jordan, he was just the neatest, just awesome. He was very affectionate. Lindsay was very protective of Jordan, and Jordan adored her. The kids also adored their father, and he doted on them. He was a very involved father. He'd play games, and he'd color with them, and watch TV together. Karen's best friend, Brenda, says Michael was a good friend and neighbor. Mike was very involved in the community. He was a Boy Scout leader. He was always easygoing, a lot of fun to be around. Although to those on the outside, everything seemed fine, Karen and Michael's marriage was falling apart. Soon, she and the children moved out. Still, Karen says she never felt threatened by her husband, and he never lifted a finger against her. He was never a violent person. I was never, ever in fear of, of my safety. But on a cold February night, just a few months after the separation, Karen waited for her children to return after spending the evening with their dad. That Monday night was just like every other evening. Karen heard her knock at the door. Open the door and it's Mike. And I'm like, what, what are you doing here? Where are the kids? And he walked right into, into Jordan's room. And so I followed him in there and um, the light was off. I take a step back and I'm like, what's going on? And as I took a step back, he turns around and up came his hand with a knife and started stabbing at me and tried my best to fight back. I was biting him and pulling his hair and trying to gouge his eyes out. He was slicing at my neck. Finally, after stabbing his wife more than 50 times, Michael stopped, walked out of the room. Though Karen was weak and bleeding profusely, she managed to crawl to the phone. This is Hello? Help me. What's your address, ma'am? 2013, number three. What's going on there? My husband's husband stabbed me. He what? Stabbed. He's killing me. Ma'am? Ma'am? Help me. Help me. 
Karen was taken to the hospital where doctors say she was stabbed so many times they stopped counting after number 59. While doctors raced against the clock to save Karen's life, her mother, Pat, arrived at the hospital. The sheriff was there, and I looked at him, and I, and I remember saying, well, where are the kids? And that was the first anyone knew that there were children. And I said, where weren't they at the apartment? Detectives left the hospital to look for the children as Pat frantically called Karen's best friend, Brenda. I picked up the phone, and instantly she said, do you have the kids? You could tell something was desperately wrong. And I said, no, I don't have the kids. Why? Oh, my God, I see Michael's hurt Karen, and I don't know if she's going to live. I hung up the phone and headed for the hospital. By the time Brenda arrived at the hospital, the police had returned with a catastrophic discovery. When they came, they... <sighs> they wouldn't say anything until... Everybody sat down. I remember Pat asking if they're okay, and she just shook her head no. Just hours before Michael brutally attacked his wife, he had suffocated his nine-year-old daughter, Lindsay, and strangled his eight-year-old son, Jordan, to death. I think, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? I've lost Lindsay and Jordan. Doctors told the family not to tell Karen her children were dead. They were afraid she would then stop fighting for her own life. She opened her eyes and she locked onto me. I knew what she wanted. I, I knew she wanted to know about the kids. I just shook my head and I said, yeah, they're gone. So authorities believe that Michael used a pillow to suffocate his daughter, Lindsay and strangled his son, Jordan, with his bare hands. Michael was arrested, confessed, and pled guilty. And Karen is alive to talk about it. We applaud you for being here. Really, I, I, we can only imagine how hard this is. I said in the beginning of the show here, if you can survive this, you can survive anything. Definitely. Definitely. And I hear, do you have flashbacks about this every day? Oh, definitely. Yeah. My mind sits idle for too long. I'm right back mm -hmm. to that night. Right back to that night. Mm -hmm. I know I've heard you, you, you told the producers that you can tell if it's going to be a good day or a bad day when you're brushing your teeth. If I could brush my teeth and, and not throw up, mm -hmm. it, it was going to be a pretty good day. Pretty good day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you had an indication even before your mother told you that the children were gone, you had an indication because when he was stabbing you, he said... All he would say the whole time is, you need to be with your children. Your children need you. And so I knew I couldn't wrap my brain completely around it, but he's stabbing me. Mm -hmm. He wants me to die, and so that must mean my children are dead too. Mm -hmm. Karen says on a really bad day, she finds herself wondering what her children went through on that horrible day. Tell us about that. If I'm feeling a little low and my mind's on idle for too long, I picture myself in his apartment and how was it for them? Their fear and what was going through their mind and looking at their father, 
Yeah, I, I can't go there. Mm -hmm. I can understand. Have you spoken to him since that day? No. Mm -hmm. no. Do you want to speak to him and to ask him why? No, because I do not believe a word he has to say. You don't? No. And there is no answer that could suffice for you? No. 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 Yeah. So how does a seemingly normal husband and father murder his own family? Karen Fox was married to Michael for 10 years. 10 years. She thought she knew him before he killed their two children and stabbed her more than 50 times. Although Michael's own attorney argued that the murders were fueled by his mental illness, Michael made this admission in court. My illness is not to blame for this. Medication is not to blame for this. Karen is not to blame for any of this. My family, her family, without work, with work, have no blame for what I did on 17th. It was me, it was my decision. They're my hands. Michael was sentenced to two consecutive life terms for killing his children and an additional 25 years for trying to kill his wife. You were in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. You heard that. Mm -hmm. What did you think or feel when you heard that? That it was just a show. I didn't believe any of it. Mm -hmm. You didn't believe the tears? Not really. Mm -hmm. But the fact that his lawyer had wanted him to use his mental illness, mm -hmm. his manic depressiveness as an excuse, and he chose not to, did that make you feel better, worse, or nothing? Nothing. Nothing. It, it didn't matter mm -hmm. either way it went. What kind of father was he? He was a very good father. Mm -hmm. Very active mm -hmm. role, you know, from the time they were infants. and mm -hmm. Cub Scout leader. Mm -hmm. The Cub now, Master. Okay, and so had he lost his job? Was he not working? What was going on? He had lost his job, but he had throughout the whole 10 years of marriage. Mm -hmm. He had a hard time holding a job mm -hmm. for any length of time. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't anything new. Mm -hmm. And you all separated after you found out that he was leading a secret life. What kind of secret life? That July of 2002, he had tried to commit suicide and left a suicide note at a gambler's anonymous place. Mm -hmm. The lady there called and read the note over the phone to me and I knew nothing about his, his gambling. gambling addiction. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he didn't pay any of our, our bills, and it just didn't make any sense because if you don't pay your mortgage for eight months, shouldn't there be foreclosure mm -hmm. going on and mm -hmm. not paying the electric bill or the heat bill? You know, for six months, why are our lights still on? You know, so I just didn't realize the extent of his lies at that point. This is Karen's mother, Pat. Pat says this was a huge shock to her because Mike was such a good father, correct? Yes, yeah. he was. And so looking back, you see no signs? For him to harm the children, I saw no signs. Did you have a gut feeling, though, that something might happen after the separation? Oh, I definitely went into hyper-overdrive once she moved out. I, I, I knew, I just knew that he was going to do something to Karen. Mm-hmm. I just never dreamed he would do anything to Lindsay and Jordan. Mm -hmm. He came back and I see the scars on your neck because he came back and tried to slash your throat because he was still in the house when you made the 911 call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how did you keep him from slitting your throat? Well, when he came back in, 
and found me on the phone. He left and, and came back in with a, with a new knife because mm -hmm. we had destroyed the one mm -hmm. that um, he, he originally used. stabbing you, yeah. Yeah, and me trying to get it from him, I knew that it was you know, totally bent, and mm -hmm. so it wasn't working properly. And then he came in and started flashing at me again, and I had a big sweatshirt on, and I just grabbed you know, the collar and I put it in my mouth so we'd have to, you know, cut, cut through, through the, sweatshirt. The, the sweatshirt. And it was yeah. a heavy one. In the beginning, you didn't feel any pain. Your body sort of takes over and you felt no pain. It had to have been the adrenaline rush and that part of your brain that locks out the pain, but it didn't hurt. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm grabbing at the knife and I can feel my skin just shredding and I can feel, I can feel the knife going in and, you know, and it, ugh, puncturing my right lung first. I, I could feel it, but... And you could smell the blood? Smell it and taste it. It, it was, because it was just everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, and... But it, it didn't hurt. It didn't there was hurt. no pain mm -hmm. at that point. Until he punctured a lung, I heard. Because the very last blow, the left lung punctured, that one I did feel, and that... Wow, that was excruciating. Why have you chosen to speak publicly? That's a hard question. I never thought that I would. Mm -hmm. I thought that I would just keep it in. But there are so many people. You, you just read this more and more. Mm -hmm. And it's a very lonely feeling. You know, I have a wonderful community. I just love my city, but I'm alone. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no one that can really say, I understand. Mm -hmm. I know what you're going through, and it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And if I could say that to another person, that I understand, I know what you're going through, mm -hmm. I actually mean it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when you speak publicly, do you think that in some way it honors the life of your children, Lindsay? In one way, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just getting through each day honors Lindsay and Jordan. Mm -hmm. This is Brenda, Karen's best friend. Brenda and Karen's sons were also best friends. When you heard that this had happened, were you shocked, surprised? Before I got to the hospital, you, you just, you don't believe it's going to be as bad as what it sounds like on the phone. But were you like her mom? Did you have a gut feeling at this, when they separated? Because best friends know everything. Yeah, and I had more of a feeling that he was maybe going to kidnap the kids because he knew that would hurt her, mm -hmm. is that he would, he would take them away from her, but not to this extreme. And right after this happened, you were worried that Karen might commit suicide, were you? I was. Mm -hmm. I was, because her whole life was her kids. Yeah. Would you mind reading what you said? Was this your Wait, victim, victim statement? Impact statement. Impact statement mm -hmm. that you read in the courtroom? Yeah. Can you read part of it here to us? I was faced with two choices, live or die. I chose to live. Michael succeeded in destroying my life. However, he underestimated the strength of my will and therefore failed at destroying me. The road that is now ahead of me will be hard, dark, and long. I know that I will have to fight harder than I did that fateful night. Mm. But I know that with the love, strength, and support from my family and friends, this wonderful community that I live in, I will make it. I will find a new normal. Have you been able to find a new normal? Not yet. No. You have a garden to remember your children by. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because you said at the beginning of that statement, your life will never be the same. So I think that's really important for everybody who's watching, who's been through 
any kind of devastation, right. that your life will not be the same. I love that last sentence, that you have to find a new normal for yourself. Mm -hmm. Because I think so many times people go back and they try to make it the same. They want it to be the way it was, and it can never be. Never. Never be. So you planted a garden. Right. I have too hard of a time going to the cemetery. Mm -hmm. So right outside my sun porch mm -hmm. window, I have a little garden, and I've just got things in there that represent Lindsay and Jordan. Mm -hmm. So I spend many, many hours in the mornings just looking. Well, everybody watching right now, heart is open to you, and we wish you deep healing, deep healing. Dr. Robbie Ludwig is a psychotherapist and regular contributor to Court TV. Robbie has been researching spousal homicide for a book called Till Death Do Us Part, Love, Marriage, and the Mind of the Killer Spouse. You say Michael's story sounds similar to what's been reported about Mark Hacking. How so? Right, in the sense that they were both lying they were presenting themselves as they wanted to be instead of who they are, mm -hmm. and that they were failing. And as long as they were not exposed and they could present the image that they were the good father, good husband, taking care of the house, they could soothe themselves. But as soon as that was confronted, they lost face and became humiliated and responded to that by acting out in rage and a murderous rage. Mm -hmm. And so, when the discovery has occurred, that's when you have trouble. Right. Okay, but in this case, was it that you knew about the gambling? I didn't know about the gambling until his suicide note. Mm -hmm. So it was after. 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 Well, it sounds like at the point that he came after you and your children, all hope was lost. So it became mm -hmm. very clear to him that the two of you were not going to be together. And in this situation, the children became an extension of the mother. And so there's an attack. I'm going to get you by getting the kids. Can somebody just snap, though? Can you just snap? It can look like you're just snapping, but there are always signs and contributing factors that push a person over yeah. the edge. Because the truth of the matter is... You don't snap until you get so taunt that you have right. to. And anyone can get there. Yeah, Everybody has it. that point where they can become aggressive. So it looks like they just snapped to us, but it's right. been building and building and right. building and building. And then if you look in hindsight, you can say, oh, now I see this sign he was a gambler. Oh, he was lying or, you know, all the truth comes out and, and you say, oh my God, why didn't I see it? It's always easier to see it in retrospect. Yeah. Are there warning signs though? There are. If someone is depressed, if they're unemployed, having difficulty with finances, if they're using illicit drugs, if they're socially isolated, and if there are firearms in the house, those are or very severe warning signs. And also, many times, these husbands will warn their wife, I'm going to kill you. Mm -hmm. And they follow through with it. And that's when you need to really use your instinct. But he was never violent in any right. way, correct? Never. 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 Never, never threatened you? No. Never threatened Never. you. What is interesting in, in the case of Aaron, who I interviewed in North Carolina, he was saying that often he would say to his wife, I'm, I'm depressed, or he would sit in the shower and mm -hmm. just cry. He told me an incident of where he'd been in the shower and just crying, and his wife came in and said, what is the matter with you? You know, you have a wonderful life, you, you're a minister, you, your children are healthy, we're doing okay, what is the matter with you? Right. What was so interesting in watching Aaron is that 
he was blaming everybody else. And yeah. again, these spousal killers externalize the problem and don't take any responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. You say that oftentimes in these cases, killing uh, seems much easier than being caught in a lie. Right. It's... A person who's woven this web, like in the hacking case, right. you have this complete mm -hmm. web of lies. There's just one after the other after the other. And the lie was more important than the truth. Yeah. So lying was his method of coping. And when he couldn't do that anymore, he went to the path of least resistance. And we are drawn to follow what's pleasurable. And sometimes what's pleasurable in the moment is illegal and murderous. Mm. And that's what happened with Mark Hacking. Mm -hmm. Statistics report that for every 100 men who kill their wives, 75 women will kill their husbands. Robbie says that when women kill, it's very different than from men. How so? There's an overgeneralization for women who kill their husbands. It's generally to get rid of them, whereas husbands paradoxically kill to hold on to their spouses. Really? Yes. What do you want to say, Karen, to those people who are watching you today who will take strength from your strength? Because the fact that you can stand having withstood being stabbed over 50 times, having to, to come out of that and realize that you're the two angels, love of your life, have, uh, your two children have been murdered. You still get up in the morning. You put your clothes on. You brush your teeth. You move forward. I love what you said earlier about being here because you wanted people who've gone through it to know that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. What else would you like to say to them? It doesn't have to be, you know, physical violence for the worst to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, usually when a spouse would kill their a husband would kill his wife or, or children. There's usually a history of physical yeah. abuse. That's the more common. That really is not the case. For you? For me. Mm -hmm. I can't be the only case. No. You know, so there are other women who are in, you know, very detrimental relationships, but there is no physical violence, and so they, well, it's okay. He's not hitting me. Mm -hmm. Oh, that, that doesn't matter. I thank you for being here. No, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. I thank you for listening.